You're listening to the Mighty Beast Podcast, episode 21, with special guest Nick Law. episode of the Mighty Beast podcast. My name is Sean Pierre and we have a special guest today in uh, one of uh, the people that kind of had a little bit of uh, influence in my career as well. Um, He's an entrepreneur. He's a very well-known photographer uh, with his commercial work as well as an entrepreneur uh, with his clothing line Mighty Killers. Uh, This is Nick Law. Hey, what's up, man? Nick, uh, I've known you for a few years now. And uh, just to give a backstory to everybody on how I met Nick, uh, we were both uh, asked to join a small project here in San Francisco uh, with photographer James Law. If you guys don't know that guy, uh, small short story. He was the guy that was responsible for taking pictures of Anderson Silva kicking Vitor Belfort in the face in the video game. So we met there and I honestly didn't know who Nick was, um, until I actually went home. Um, and I had posted the picture that we had together and a friend of mine goes, Hey, do you know who that is? And I was like, Oh, you know what? I just met him. He was really cool. Really nice. We exchanged contact info and I started doing a little bit more research on you. And dude, I didn't know your body of work at the time, but I mean, that's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. And I'm pretty sure what people want to know is how did your fascination with photography start? Okay. Yeah. So, so thanks for that great intro. Yeah, of course, man. Um, I started taking photos back in, uh, around 2009, 2008, uh, around that time. And, uh, I was always fascinated by cameras. You know, my grandpa was a photographer Mm -hmm just waking up every day and seeing his photos on the wall. Um, I've never met him. He passed away before I died, but you know, just waking up every day for 10 years straight and seeing his photos all over the wall, you know, it, it did something to me and it made me want to be a photographer. Um, not knowingly that I will become one one day. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until my grandmother passed away that I realized, you know, damn, I wish I had more memories of her, you know, uh, more pictures, more videos, stuff like that. And during around the same time, I, I was having a lot of friends of mine, close friends of mine that was passing away out to wow. due to like, you know, gang violence, yeah. you know, just, just the typical stuff in Oakland. Yeah. Um, so it just made me want to get a camera. Uh, I think the first camera I picked up was like a Nikon D90. Mm. Um, I had no idea what camera that was. I just remember seeing someone that I knew had that camera and I was like, shoot, maybe that's a good camera. You know, I picked it up. <laughs> I found one on Craigslist. How much? How much? Uh, I think it was like seven, eight hundred bucks. Oh you know? man! Yeah, and at that time, you know, it, it, it seemed like a lot of money just for photography. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that it was going to be way more expensive. Uh, I had like a kit lens, 
And then once you start learning more about lenses, you're like, holy shit, this is going to be expensive. Yeah. But I fell in love with it right away. I took my first picture and I was like, damn, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, and, and how old were you when, when you decided to pick up that camera? I believe I was 19. Wow. Yeah. Were you a pretty good student in school? No, man. Uh, I was horrible. Not that I wasn't smart or anything. I no. was just a... Uh, I just didn't like being in school. I didn't like doing homework. Um, I barely graduated um, just because I was never there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, that's, that's crazy because we kind of went down a similar path. You know, I was the same way where, you know, I didn't like to go to school. I cut school. I didn't like homework. Didn't graduate on time. I had to go to adult school. So, I mean, you know how that is. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's not very inspiring, not very productive, but you pick up a camera. You start taking photos. I mean, did you have to, was there a learning curve as far as when you picked up the camera? You, I mean, you, you had some knowledge, I'm sure. But as soon as you started getting into post-production and all that stuff, I mean, how hard was it, of a transition was that for you? To be honest, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, I had it on auto, you know. I had yeah. it on auto yeah. for so long. And um, what I did was I just... You know, me and my friends, we still kicked it really tough. So every time we went out, I took pictures and did that. Went to like making videos. And I had a blog at that time, but it's, it's down now. But I had a blog at that time. And pretty much every time I took photos of just hanging out, like everyday, day-to-day -day life, I just posted it on my blog and um, got Lightroom right away, learned how to edit. Um, just looking back at my pictures, man, they were uh, it's cringy to look at, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's why I deleted. It. I didn't want anyone to see those cringy photos, but, um, you know, this was before anyone like nowadays it's, it's easy, you know, like you can take a picture at a preset that you buy and it's, and there you go. You know, before you, you didn't have all that, you know, you, no, we you had didn't. to learn Lightroom the hard way, learning about all the different sliders and whatnot. And, um, but it was, it was fun to learn, you know, and, um, that's what got me started this, getting more memories of uh, family and friends because yeah. just living out here, you just never knew like what was going to happen. Yeah. And, and looking back at the pictures, you know, like a lot of my friends that were in the pictures, they're gone now. So. Yeah. yeah that's, that's crazy, man. I, I know that like growing up in Oakland, you know, I have a lot of friends in Oakland as well. It's, it was just a rough go, especially around that, that time, you know, um, Another question I have is, I mean, so you, you pick up your camera, you learn pretty much post-production and what were you inspired to shoot besides like the family and friends that you have? Because there had to have been a turning point where, you know, you're, you're doing portraits um, and then all of a sudden someone says, hey, Nick, I mean, you do this, right? I mean, what was kind of like your first paid like gig? First paid gig. Um, well, it started with just taking pictures of friends. And um, I fell in love with long exposures. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So like every night I would just go around either with my, uh, by myself or with like a friend or a cousin. And we they wouldn't even be photographers. You know, they would just come around just to kick it. And um, I would just get long exposures of anything that I could see, mostly like of the bridges, um, of this uh, skyline of SF. Uh, but the first paid gig, I'm trying to remember, it could have been like for a friend 
or something. Um, I'm not sure, but my boy, he was, um, he just came out of the Marines and uh, he was working on a script with a few of his other friends and they produced their first uh, feature film. Wow. And uh, they invited me to do like the behind the scenes photos for that. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, it wasn't a paid gig, but it was a good learning experience. I think the first real paid gig was uh, for a Macy's event. Really? Yeah. Kind of like a like a a party or like a or like a no. release of some sort. Yeah, it was more of a release. So uh, I remember my first check actually it was for a, a beachy gig. So this <laughs> is yeah. So they had a, a nice. beachy playing at um, right across from Macy's uh, in SF. Yeah. And they, he had a concert going on and they hired me to do time lapses of the event. Time lapse, specifically time lapses? Specifically time lapse. Wow. Um, Cause they just knew it was just taking pictures and editing and putting it together. And yeah. I had no idea how to do that. You know, I've never taken a time lapse, but you know, I did my research, bought the right tools, set up my camera and that was it. Uh, that was my first paid gig. And after that, they, they actually hired me for a bunch of other like little concerts and stuff like that. Now, yeah. with, now with your blog, is is that something that helped you carry your your skill set to the next level? Like, was it giving you enough exposure to um, get hired in, in other things? It was actually. Oh, um, okay. Back then, I don't think there was. I mean, there was Facebook, but there was no Instagram, yeah. and I think uh, blogs were pretty were pretty popular at the time. You know, mm-hmm. everyone, most photographers that I knew of, or the one that that I met or were inspired by were through the blogs. So they would do like a everyday project for a 365 project, something like that, yeah. where they would just post pictures of their everyday life. And I think it did help a lot because it made me shoot every day. And people always ask me like, you know, how, what's the best advice? You know, my best advice is to, to shoot every day. You know, you can only get better by practicing it every day. Yeah. Very and true. that's what I did. And um, I had business cards. I gave links to always posted links on my website everywhere. And um, a lot of people found me through that. Wow. Now, at the time when, you know, when you were 19 and you were just kind of starting out, what were you doing as far as like a as work or did you even have a career at the time? Or was this just kind of like your your vagabond days where you're just trying to figure out what was going to stick? Yeah, I mean, I think I speak for a lot of people in Oakland, like growing up, we didn't have that much opportunities. Yeah. And graduating high school, um, you know, the next thing to do is go to go to college, right? But, yeah. you know, I didn't have the grades for that. So I went to a community college. Um, I was actually going to school for x-ray and the x-ray reason why, tech. Oh, wow. yeah, x-ray tech, not because I wanted to do it, it's just because I knew there was money and my cousin actually did it. Yeah. And he was just like, just do it. I'll get you into these blah, blah, blah. But after doing that, you know, I realized like I don't like being in a hospital. It's uh, very depressing to see people like sick and sad all the time and yeah. sick. So I was like, I don't want to do this. But um, for his everyday life, you know, um, I was pretty much just slaying it on the side, nice you know, just to get by. That's that's pretty much what I was doing. But after I picked up photography, I fell in love with it. I was like, maybe I could make this a career. It was like the first time that I actually wanted to do something. So, so, when, so when did you know it was time to take it seriously? Um, you know, when I fall in love with something, like uh, I try to, 
I'm obsessed. I want to be the best at it. So I think within the first week that I picked up the camera, I was like, maybe I can get good at this and like do it full time. Wow. Um, and I just stuck with it. Now I noticed, uh, some of your commercial work with Land Rover, uh, Leica, for example, you're an ambassador with Leica. How are you able to land that type of stuff? I mean, it, it, you know, for, for a lot of photographers, you know, you can say you're a photographer, you can be any type of photographer, but for someone like you, that's established like that, you have a lot of commercial work under your belt. You've worked for these big companies and you're, you're, you're an ambassador for one of the most expensive cameras in the world. How was it, that you were able to pull this off? Uh, just years and years of hard work. So, you know, through this industry and in this field, like you have to make as much connections as you possibly can. You know, mm-hmm. you can't you can't turn down anybody because you never know who that person might know. So actually during the licks, uh, the movie that I was working for, shooting the behind the scenes, uh, a lot of the people that started in that, uh, on that movie or on a set, they actually all became like something really, really big. Oh, like, wow. um, like the producers of, of the, of the movie, it's, it's Colin Tiley. He makes like, uh, I'm not sure if you know of him, but most of the t- uh, music videos that you see on TV nowadays was shot by him. Who's this? Uh, uh, Colin Tiley. Oh no, I don't know him. I got to look him up. Yeah, look him up, man. He's really, really big. He does all of like Justin Bieber's uh, wow. videos and all of that. So Vinnie Hobbs was also the, uh, which he was the editor of the film, and he does all the editing for most of the music videos that you see on TV. Uh, Rob Witt, he was also the the DP of the film, and he does crazy work. Uh, and a bunch of other people that I know, like the, the person that they rented the camera from, my boy Justin. He's doing crazy, crazy work. Uh, Nick Mahar was like, I think he was uh, AP at the time. And, you know, he's gone on tour with Logic and a bunch of others. Um, So everyone just started there. But through the Land Rover gig, I actually was pitched uh, the project through a mutual friend. So this girl, she, she was the brand marketing director. And she had a list of names of photographers that, you know, that Land Rover wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. And uh, my name was actually on it. Or she had compiled a bunch of names and my name was on it. She actually ran it through uh, her friend, which is also my friend, Nico, who was part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And when he seen, he seen my name, he's like, you don't have to look for any others. Just, just that's, Pick that that's, guy. One. Pick yeah, that that's guy the one you want to go with. <laughs> yeah, so uh, after getting that gig, my first gig with Land Rover was back at... Um, I don't know. I forgot which year it was, but it was actually with Jaguar. They had just released the new uh, F-Type. Yeah, I love that car. Yeah, super crazy car. So they flew me and another friend out to South by Southwest in Austin. Wow. And uh, they gave us the car for the weekend. We went to a bunch of like red carpet events. Um, and we shot the cars. And um, after that, I just made a connection through her. And ever since she's like, Hey, you know, I want to make you the main photographer for Land Rover. I'm like, that's, uh, that's incredible. So she's been pitching me projects here and there. Um, but she, had, she had actually left the company to work for a different company, but mm-hmm. through the contacts of Land Rover, I was still able to get a bunch of gigs. Nice. How many times did you work for, for Land Rover? Uh, I would say more than 10 times at oh. least. Yeah. The that's last amazing. project was for a commercial. This was back in 2020. 
I think it was right before 2019 or 2020, right before the lockdown. But it was for the new. I saw uh, that actually. Yeah, is new, that the one that was on a tw- the it was film like is that Twin Peaks? Yeah, yeah Twin yeah, Peaks. Yeah. So they made a commercial out of that, and uh, I was, and you were in it too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And you were holding a Leica, yeah. Yeah. So actually, <laughs> I was the only person that could show the camera brand. The the person oh, yeah. that was running the project, he was a big Leica fan, and pretty much told Leica like. Nick's gonna be the only person able to show uh, the brand of a camera on these videos. That's amazing, man. How does it feel working with that type of company in Leica? I mean, they're. I mean, I, I've only met a few photographers that actually have a Leica that they use for a pro camera, and yeah. it's. I mean, just the price alone is just insane. Yeah, it's a, it's a hefty price tag, but you know, like you, you get what you pay for, you know, like the colors. I mean, I've shot with pretty much every company. Um, I started with Nikon and I switched to Canon because, uh, videos were getting big and I wanted the video capability. After that, I picked up a Fuji. Um, and then I picked up the Sony when the Sony mirrorless was becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and after a month of using the Sony, I picked up the Leica. Uh, I had a trip coming up uh, around the world for this nonprofit that me and my boy started. It was called Picture of Change. Really? Uh, yeah. Talk more about that. I, I, didn't, I didn't know about that. So it's called what? Picture of Change. So uh, oh, wow. the idea started back in 2013. Uh, I was working at a school, an elementary school, where I was teaching photography. You were teaching? And I was teaching photography. Wow. Yeah. So I, was, I taught over, I would say over 300 students in Oakland photography. I had a curriculum that I created for like a six, six week course. So like after six weeks, uh, I would get a new set of students and then we'll run it over and over. My friend, when he was just graduating from uh, SFAI and they had this uh, grant going out where if anyone came up with a project idea, they would find it. They would fund it. Uh, one person would get funded for like 10000 for the project. And we actually heard about it maybe like two days before the deadline. So in their two heads. Two days before the deadline. Yeah, two days wow. before the deadline. So um, we pitched the idea that we were going to go to uh, Brazil to teach photography in the favelas. And um, I think because we pitched it two days before the project, they they gave it to somebody else thinking like, you know, maybe if they gave it to us, we, we wouldn't be able to like get everything set up. So we ended up not getting the project. Um, I mean, not the, not the grant, but you know, we said, we said, fuck it. I'm sorry. Can I, can I, uh, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. my bad. No, no, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the grant didn't go through. So we were like, fuck it. We're going to do it on our own. We, uh, we did like a Kickstarter raised oh. 10, Wow. Yeah, we raised like 10000 in a month. And with that money, uh, we bought a bunch of equipment, like a bunch of cameras. Um, we, I think we brought a computer, a laptop. And we found a program in uh, Rio, in the Ocinia. It's a, it's a favela in Rio. It's like the biggest one. If you remember Call of Duty, they based yes, that. Yes, that's specific. the map. Yeah, they based that specific one to the place that we were teaching. Holy crap. Um, we found an a after-school program inside the heart of the favelas, and um, we made contact and told them, like, exactly what we wanted to do. So we bought our own plane tickets out of our own money. 
flew out there for three weeks, uh, went to the favelas every day to teach, donate all the cameras to like at least three different programs that we met out there, ran the program, and then found other photographers to come take over the project once we left. And after that, we've created a book um, and uh, we had a gallery at um, the Diego Gallery in uh, San Francisco, the Diego Rivera Gallery. We raised a bunch of money, sold a bunch of books, and then we used that money to donate back to uh, that specific after school program so they can, you know, run other programs as well. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. What's more ghetto, Oakland or the favelas? Whew, definitely the favelas, man. Yeah, that's, yeah, that place is rough. I mean, I've never been there, honestly, but from the stuff that I've seen on the internet, it's it's rough. Yeah, like the reason why we chose that spot is because, you know, one of uh, our close friends is Brazilian. But not only that, I think a lot of people, when you tell them about Rio, they think of the beaches, you know, they think of the beauty. Yeah. But at they the time, yeah. yeah, at the time, it was the second most dangerous place in the world. Um, <sighs> You know, people are getting killed left and right. Yeah. Um, we actually met uh, with like a, a really respected uh, person out there. He was like a surfer. He ran his own surf program, but he was really respected in the hood. So he made sure that we had a tour with him and that he, he let everyone there know that these you're, guys. You're with him. If you guys see them, no one touches them. And, you know, we got a hood pass, but I don't think that if, we didn't have that we would have been safe you know i mean it sounds like you've you've ventured in a lot of directions because of what you've done in photography and um what i'm asking is can you speak on what what other opportunities you were able to get from just photography i mean you talk about the land rover gig the leica gig the going to brazil you're also doing other things i mean i saw i've seen your lightroom presets i've seen your uh, your your Instagram of of course and and your clothing line. So yeah, how, how uh, was that? How was that? How was that pivoted from so photography? The, I mean, photography pretty much opened doors to everything that I didn't think that was possible. You know, growing up in a, in, in Oakland it was like a fishbowl. You know, like no one really left, yeah. and all we seen was the stuff that was going on in our city. But, you know, once I started traveling, it made me realize, like, you know, the world's a beautiful place. And that made me want to travel more. So what I did was I tried to create my brand and portfolio uh, around travel. So I would get international gigs, um, gigs where countries will pay photographers to come take pictures and talk about their countries. So I've been on many trips like that. And that's brought me to... Uh, maybe like 40 countries around the world just taking pictures and that's all in the last how many years seven years seven Seven years years, 40 countries yeah and out of all of those 40 countries i'm sure you fall in love with you know at least five of them so which which five would you say are the most Uh, compelling places that you've been to uh japan for sure that was uh fell in love with that right away Mm. Um, I've, and ever since I've been to Japan for the first time, which was like back in 2015, yeah. I've visited it at least once or twice a year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, any, then. any particular place in Japan? Uh, I mean, Tokyo for sure. Yeah. And, uh, 
Kyoto. Kyoto is one of my favorites just because they have so much uh, history behind it. It was one of the only cities that, one of the few only cities that didn't get bombed. So like all the temples and everything is still oh, there. Wow. So it's pretty wow. much left unchanged from pretty much the yeah. start, yeah? Yeah, it's wow. pretty much unchanged. Um, so Japan's one of them. Iceland for sure was one of them. Oh, did you get to see the, the Northern Lights and all that stuff? Yeah, you know, I, I've seen it there, but it wasn't as... Uh, as gr- as great as I thought it would be. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I mean, it was it was there. It was subtle, but like, um, I think because people people are making it like it almost looks like a time lapse every time I see someone put out something like that. So you know what? I thought the exact same thing. Um, I thought you know all the videos that you see, you think it's time lapse, but yeah. I actually flew to Alaska with uh, with one of my partners and. Um, we spent it. So we actually flew there with a project that we were working with. It was called Facet 50. Yeah. And uh, they, they created this app that it was like a combination of Snapchat and Instagram. But I think it was just way ahead of their time because yeah. what they were trying to do was they was trying to have an app where let's say you, there's a photo or a video that you like. So you can click on the photo and video of that specific country or whatever it's at. It'll tell you the exact GPS coordinates. Wow. And a, and on top of that, you can book a hotel around the area and book like, you know, taxis and whatnot just through the app. Dude, that would probably work right now. Yeah, you know, it will work right now. But I think at the time it was just like. People were just probably like, what the yeah, fuck was, is this? Yeah, it was too ahead of the time. But yeah. um, there was like maybe 20 of us that that were part of the project and they they gave us a budget every month to go travel so that was amazing really yeah so me and my partner uh, from marty killers we we were both on that project and um yeah we were traveling every month that's amazing so you said tokyo or sorry japan iceland uh iceland uh next country i would say maybe cuba cuba Yeah. yeah, Cuba was really nice. Um, this is always really hard for me. I like I love Portugal, um, nice. Germany, and fifth one I would say maybe Argentina, maybe. Nice. Yeah. Dude, you travel a lot, man. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, man, it's uh, it opens your eyes, man. I love traveling, and I, you know, if it wasn't for this lockdown, I'd be around the world somewhere right now. Yeah, right. So, have you been able to travel at all during during the last what? It's running on almost two years now for this two whole years. pandemic thing. Yeah, I've only traveled to two countries during the pandemic. So, and was this for work? No, this was actually just a vacation. Nice. Um, uh, we I went to Italy last year before. I don't know if you remember when Italy was like going, had a oh, really yeah. bad breakout. Rough, so I, yeah. I was actually there during, during that time. the freaking during the freaking. Oh wow! Well, as soon as I came back, that's when it wasn't like complete lockdown. I I went there for uh, the carnival event in Venice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so after we returned, uh, it was it went to shit. So can you imagine if you fucking got stuck there, man? Yeah, that that would have sucked. I mean, it wouldn't be that bad because I do like Italian food, but yeah. but yeah, it was it was bad. Um, and then I actually just came back from Aruba uh, last week. How's the weather over there? 
Aruba's beautiful. nice, man. It's yeah. beautiful. It's uh, it's one of the only uh, countries in the Caribbean area that's not in the hurricane belt. Oh, so, so they're, they're cool. Like, yeah, they're, they're just... good all year round. And uh, it's hot as hell, but they have, um, like, it's always breezy over there. I don't know what it is, but it's super breezy. So it actually feels really good. Yeah. Tell me about uh, Mighty Killers. So Mighty Killers started back in 2013 by my uh, partner, Marvin. Um, I didn't get into Mighty Killers until 2014. Um, he started a clothing company. Um, and Mighty Killers comes from, well, two, two words for sure, right? So we always believe that whatever you do, you know, you got to love it. You got to believe in it. And then the killers is like, and whatever you love doing, you got to kill it, you know, no yeah. matter what it is. So that's what we always believe in. Whatever you love doing or whatever you are doing, try to kill it no matter what. Um, he was running that brand since 2013. Uh, I've met him. I've known of him for a while, but we technically met in 2014. I was in Hong Kong. I think I posted like, um, a, a post saying that, you know, uh, as soon as I come back, let's get a, uh, uh, Instagram meetup. If anyone wants to like participate and he actually hit me up. was like, Hey, I'm down to like work, collaborate with you on this one. So we made it like a, uh, a my killers meet. So we, we hashtagged it MK explore. Yeah. That's, that's kind of pretty big, man. Yeah. You know, like it, it blew up uh, a lot bigger than I thought it would when we first ran it. Um, I don't think we've been on it like that anymore, but at the time I think we had like over 3 million hashtags just for MK Explore. Um, so we, we had the first meetup and it turned out like crazy good. I mean, we weren't expecting that much people, but I think over like 150 people showed up. Wow. That's a lot. And, uh, somebody even told me James Franco was there. Ah, really? Yeah. But Sick. I'm sure he's seen the amount of people and left. Yeah, I think it was there was a few. Uh, I think it was maybe like one or two years ago. I told you I, I started seeing the brand, your brand, or Mighty Killers being worn in a bunch of um, influencer videos and like the car culture video. It's it was cool just to kind of see because I remember when uh, when we first met. You know my my delivery service was called uh, Mighty Breed, and, and then uh. you, and then when when I told you about that, oh, I have a clothing line called Mighty Killers, and then. Uh, I was wearing a sweater because I was trying to do a clothing line too, and, I, and it ended up being this, the Mighty Beast podcast. But it was Mighty Beast, so that kind of, you know, led me to be very interested in it because we we kind of had almost the same name. And right um, when I saw it, uh, one of these guys, his name was Brandon Cato. He's a he's a you know he's a big deal in the whole car scene or whatnot. But I seen him on the Hoonigans channel, and dude, they have well over millions and millions of subscribers and he wears your stuff all the time, man. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, to see. I'm yeah, sure it's pretty cool to see someone else wearing your stuff, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's very common these days, but at first it's like whatever, but like now, like this being in the Bay area, I see it quite often and it's, it's pretty sick. Um, I remember we were in Iceland together and uh, we were at the blue lagoons just chilling in the, in the water and then this, these guys next to us was like, hey, what are you guys doing here? We're, we're just like, oh, we're just here taking pictures. And then he's like, oh, have you guys heard of Mighty Killers? We, uh, we heard that they're in town right now. Oh, <laughs> we were just sick. like, what? Dude, that's, that's so big time funny. right there. It's like, yeah, that's us. 
Well, one thing I love about Mighty Killers is I remember from the first, even from the very first time I heard it, I had to look it up. And that was way back, probably when when we first met. And it's cool to see how it actually evolves. I mean, I've always gotten to it kind of late because, you know, I'd see something that you have and then I'm like, fuck, let me, I got to get that. And then all of a sudden it's sold out. And yeah. uh, that's got to be pretty amazing to have a product that will sell out. And yeah, yeah, we, we pretty much sell out pretty much all the time. I'm sure. Yeah. Like I was was lucky to get that hat, to be honest. Like I was really lucky to get the hat because I'm pretty sure that got bought up real quick. Yeah. I would say 95% of our stuff sells out within the first day or two. Um, are you guys ready for that? Like, do you guys have like, are you guys kind of like a, a brand where, you know, you're going to put limited stuff out or is this something that you have a set number of things and well, I mean, that's kind of the same thing where you have a set amount of inventory and you're only going to put out as much as you have. But I mean, I remember you also telling me because I was look, I was really into the, um, to the hot shoe cover mm-hmm. and, um, and I, and I called you out and I was like, Hey man, do you guys still have these? And dude, that was like maybe years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you guys will never re-release any of that stuff, huh? No. Uh, I think it's better that way it, though, honestly. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's funny because a lot of people, they'll hit me up after they see somebody with it that they want it. And they were like, you know, once it's, it's gone, it's gone it's forever. Gone. You know, we don't want to like keep making same things because there's so much new things that we can make. So it kind of makes, makes an incentive for them to like grab it, grab the next release before it sells out. I love that concept, man. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, any other ventures you've you've ventured in that a lot of people don't know about? I mean, you've already done, like I said, you've done commercial work, you've done a clothing line, and then you're into kind of like the Lightroom preset thing. What other ventures yeah. have you gone into? Um, other than that, you know, the cannabis industry. Um, yeah, tell me about that. Yes, I mean, I always was a lover of of weed, as you know, and yeah. I'm sure you are because of, of the delivery. Um, started smoking when I was like 12. Um, and I was really heavy on it until like maybe 18, 19 when I stopped, I started slowing down on it just mm-hmm. because I was just trying to get my, my head right and focus, but it was always a passion. And once it became legal, uh, a bunch of friends that I grew up with, we, uh, applied for a licensing and, um, it was through a lottery system when we were able to grab a license and that's awesome. Yeah. And it's, and we, we, um, found a location in the green zone, got the license and, uh, we've been building since ever since, you know, I mean, COVID has slowed us down by a year or two, Yeah, but, but that's, that's know, with everybody, man. That's with everything. So what's the place you know, called? Uh, so our brand will be called cream genetics and that's pretty much you know how cream stands for cash rules everything around me yeah. so we we want to take the can- same concept with just cannabis rules everything around me so. now is this is this this is not a brick and mortar now this is you're actually uh creating products correct yeah so we had a we we got granted a cultivation license nice and how hard was that in Oakland it's hard man i think at the time they were only giving out like 4 a year <sighs> wow yeah wow for a year? Yeah. I might be mistaken. It could have been no, seven, no, but it was right. it was like four to seven, but it was really, really low and we were able to score one on one. So So what kind of project uh, products will you be putting out as far as uh, the cannabis products? <sighs> uh as of right now, it's just flour. Um 
we do want to get into distillates and all that later, but that itself is a whole different, other licensing. Yeah, yeah you got to totally get like bomb proof shelter and everything just for that. So we're just doing flour now. Uh, we're going to be, you know, selling it to others if they want a white label, but we're also going to have our individual brand for cream genetics. So when do you expect that to, to start taking off? Um, it's slowly being built. We have a total of four rooms. Um, technic- right now we have two that's pretty much done. Uh, we're just waiting for the other two to be finished, hopefully by next year sometime. I would say like summer by summer next year, just because of COVID. Wow, that's amazing, man. Now, let's switch gears. You, you venture into video, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was doing video for uh, a little bit. How do you like video versus uh, photography? You know, uh, when I started doing video, I uh, I was in love with it, but because of how long it takes, it kind of like steered me away from doing video as yeah. much as I did photos. Um, and I just love taking photos. If like if I could only choose one, it'll always be photography yeah. uh, because that's my first love. But I enjoy doing video um, as long as I have like a team behind me. I yeah. think I think that's what made me not want to do video when I first started doing because it, it was just me shooting, planning, editing, all that. Um, but I've been in positions where I'm like doing DP work, which I love. I love like. Yeah. capturing the scene the way I see it and, you know, using specific lenses and uh, all of that. But I don't like having to sit down and like do the rest of the work. I agree. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree. Now, when you were doing video, what mainly were you shooting with? Were you shooting with uh, like a Sony or does your Leica shoot video? Uh, you know, the song, the Leica does shoot video, but it's pretty crappy unless you're using like the Leica SL. The M cameras, they're not meant for videos at all. They're not, yeah. They're not. Um, but the SLs are. And, um, I was using that for a little bit, but I think the first camera that got me into video was the the 5D Mark II. And then I grabbed the 5D Mark III because. Canon was like leading the way in like 1080p videos at the time. Yeah. And then I grabbed the Sony. Wasn't in love with the Sony at all. I don't know what it was. It it's was the just, colors, uh, man. Honestly. It is. Yeah. It was just everything about the camera just um it looked too electronic, you know. Yeah, it didn't totally. look there was no feels to it. And I think that's why I love the the Leica. Um because photography started getting too easy for me. Like Oh yeah, because you get compl- you get comfortable and complacent, and then yeah. you're kind of at the top of your game, and it's almost like yeah. So I grabbed left. the 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 M bodies and like learning how to like go back to manually shooting uh, as far as focus wise. That yeah, that brought back a lot of fun because you know you'll sometimes you'll miss the shot and you appreciate the ones that you got. What would you say to? Uh, any aspiring photographer out there and I'm talking about a serious photographer, not some like Instagram influencer or anything like that. But what would you say to someone that was in your position kind of like, you know, growing up in, in, in the place that you, you've grown up and kind of cause only because I'm only asking this question because, you know, there's kids out there right now that, that are fucking stupid. Like they they just don't, <laughs> they're, they're, they feel entitled to everything. And what year were you born, Nick? 
1990. So, I mean, that's probably the last good year of like real good hardworking yeah, people, I think. Yeah, but, 90, 91. Yeah, we're like a dying breed, man. Yeah, everything else. so it's like if you can, I mean, you see it also. Like these kids, just, they just don't know how to work hard anymore. What would you say to someone that is like, you know what? I need to take a plunge on something. I need to do something with my life. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty simple, you know, like everyone thinks it's, it's difficult, but whatever you plan on doing, stick to it, you know, like that's as simple as that. Like if you want to be a photographer, you want to be a musician, stick to it, you know, like yeah. there's, there's going to be a lot of times where it's, you're going to feel like you're stuck and like it's not the best situation, but, you know, that's what makes the best of people that's doing it you know they never quit and um i think that goes with everything but you know also also find passion in what you do if it's something that you're just chasing because other people are chasing you're gonna fail you know because you're just gonna be trying to copy the next person if if you love it and you have a passion for it you're gonna think of things that no one else has done before just because you know you're truly truly inspired to to be the best at what it is that you're doing and I think that's what it is. And, you know, like a lot of people, like you said, you know, they feel entitled these days, you know, they, they want it easy, but you know, there's, there's no real shortcut to success. You know, it's a lot of hard work. You just yeah. got to stick to it and work on it as much as you can. Now for any advice for somebody that is on the verge of getting to that next step, like, any advice to, to, to someone that's like, you know, I, I want to land that, that, that like a ambassador gig, or I want to, I want to shoot for, you know, uh, one of these automotive magazines or one of these, what advice would you give those people? Because they're already kind of, kind of, I'll say kind of established, but they just need kind of like that breakout moment. Yeah. I mean, you just got to throw yourself in the field. Like, um, when I wanted to become a Leica ambassador or be part of their team, like I knew that I had to get a Leica, you know? Yeah. Um, if you want to be part of any type of scene, um, it's all networking, you know? Like you can be shooting pictures all day, but like if no one knows who you are, you're never going to get that extra boost of success. I think the most important thing is to go out there, create that, portfolio that you want to get paid off of you know there's you have to do the dirty work you know when I first started I took up every gig that I could possibly get that was like weddings club photography which I don't recommend um you know conciertas birthday parties stuff like that but like people will recognize you from where you started and you never know that person that you we're shooting for a birthday party. They need to hire you for something else. Like I never thought that shooting behind the scenes for a, a, a movie will let me with a gig with Land Rover. So little things here and there will add up and you just got to network and just create that portfolio that you want to get paid for. I think you have to do the dirty work to get paid. But when you have that free time, I think you should spend at least an hour a day working towards your you know your end goal goal. yeah yeah if not you'll just be running in circles wishing that you did it interesting so interesting so we'll switch gears here and i'll ask a couple questions and you're just gonna 
see what what comes first to your mind. So, Canon or Sony? Canon. Why? Uh, colors are fantastic. I feel like they're easier to use. Uh, I love the lenses a lot more. I actually just picked up a Canon too, just uh, for uh, Did a you get a one? Yeah, I got the R5. How do you like it? Uh, to be honest, I, I wouldn't know because I haven't... I you haven't it opened up. it. <laughs> I haven't used it at all. <laughs> but I have used the ESL, EOS R, yeah. um, the first mirrorless that they came out with. And uh, that actually was really, really good. Does it compare to the Sony at all as far as... Because honestly, when, when I transitioned from Canon to Sony, it was it was almost like going from a Japanese car to like a German car where it was just kind of like the the freaking aperture wheel goes a different way and then like uh, all all sorts of like, even like the menus were confusing. God damn it. Right. Uh, it wasn't too hard. I mean, it, it took me like maybe a weekend just to get, to get used to it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a hard transition at all. Um, I just love the colors that Canon produces because, you know, I used to shoot Canon, but as soon as I bought the Sony, like after a month, I hated the camera. Yeah. I'm still on it. Yeah. I'm still on it and I'm trying to go yeah. Canon, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not a bad camera, you know, with the new lenses and stuff like my cousin, yeah, but the lenses, he, he, he shoots, uh, he shoots Sony and from time to time, if uh, I don't have my camera available or it's not the one I need for a project, I would borrow his Sony uh, for the project. Cause he has like the whole Trinity set and it's just easy to use, but I am not in love with it. It takes extra work to, get the colors the way I know, that I man. like. So and I've even, I'm even using like Canon glass on, yeah. on my Sony's cause it's and like, you know, and yeah, that and still you, doesn't, it still doesn't get the color space right. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, the oranges are a lot more like, that's exactly what I was. There's just a lot more oranges. weird looking. The greens are a little bit more weird looking. I think a lot of mirrorless cameras when they first came out, even like the Leica SL, like, the greens on that camera was a lot different from the green on the Leica M. So um, it, it just takes time for them to develop a better camera. Maybe I got the first Sony and I just was not in love with it at the time because it was so no, you're new. Right. You're right. It's, it's terrible. Yeah, but, you know, I do love the Canon. Um, if I had to choose one camera altogether, it would just be my Leica system. But, you know, you, you realize it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what camera you're using, cool. just whatever makes it work and yeah. whatever will help you cut down on the time that you need to, to finish a project. All right. Uh, editing, editing yourself or outsourcing? Uh, all myself. You edit all your stuff yourself? Yep, everything. Wow. Um. If you had to pick which Leica camera, which camera? Uh, M10. M10. Beautiful camera. Would you ever get back into serious video? Uh, you know, I've thought about it these days. Um, I've actually been, I picked up a Sony, like the little vlog camera. Yeah. And that's pretty much like my webcam camera now, but I did pick it up just to do like, document day-to-day life uh i was actually going through some old videos the other day uh, with my friends like just just like events and parties that we used to go to and it kind of made me miss it you know because it brought back so many memories and 
know, some of the good friends in the videos are, are gone now. Yeah. Um, rest in peace to those people. But um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I will one day. Um, I my best friend he has a he has a red Oof. and. That's my, a, other good that's my Leica right there. Yeah, my other friend has an Ari. So like, I play with both cameras. I've shot with both cameras, and it's 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 a lot of fun. I just um, it'll take a lot of work if I do want to like step into that field. Yeah. Instagram or TikTok? Instagram. Are you on TikTok? Uh, I have a app, but I, I I haven't made one video. I just don't have time to. Yeah. Uh, last question. Fuck, what was it? Instagram, TikTok. Fuck, I can't think of it. Anyway, so, Nick, I want to thank you for coming on today's podcast. I think a lot of people will see that, you know, you've worked your ass off and you've worked for everything that you have right now and 40 countries in that's mind boggling. And that's like a dream for a lot of people. So thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story because I think with everything going around going on right now, like everyone needs to pivot somehow. I think people are stuck in their daily grind jobs and they're, they're dying. And one thing I always say is in order for you to be happy, you have to create something like you have to create your own thing and that's the only way you'll truly be happy. And you're one of the, you're one of my biggest, I mean, to tell you the truth, the people that I've been interviewing are, are the people that have really influenced my work and, uh, and, and I aspire to be like those people. So you're one of those people. So I thank you so much that. for, for coming on and thank you for even being my friend, Nick. <laughs> Come on, man. We, you know, we, like we, we, we met we on, people, bro. we met on some weird circumstances and, and I want to say, I want to share this with the people too. You are the first person that I saw with the DJI Mavic one. Remember that? Do you remember that when you were flying it in uh, Golden Gate Park? Yeah, they actually, uh, they told I you think to bring it like- down. I was one of the first people that had that camera because uh, they, they sent it to me to uh, shoot for their campaign before they launched it. Dude, it was like, that, we have a top secret thing that we want to show you. No one's played with it yet. Dude, that like, was right, that cool. was a game changer for me, man. And after that, I ended up buying a drone and I ended up buying, you know, I still have drones. And that, that was a huge eye opener for me. And even the experience that we had with James that day really yeah, opened my eyes. James, yeah, shout out to James because... You know, like without him, I wouldn't have met you and, you know, we wouldn't be talking right now. So thank you, Nick. Uh, do me a favor and plug all your uh, social media and your website and all that stuff. Yeah, man. So uh, everything is at Nick underscore L.A. That's uh, N-I-K-K underscore L.A. Instagram, everything else. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. And uh, we'll probably check back with you in the next few months and see what you've come up with, man. Cool, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.